Welcome to the Class Divide podcast. I'm Curtis James and this is Reaction Episode 7. Hopefully you've listened to Episode 7. It's full of what I think are pretty inspiring ideas, groups, people doing really cool stuff around education and a whole lot more. I'm joined, as usual, by Carly Goldsmith. So, Carly, I've got a few ideas on things I want to talk about, but I'm going to ask you first. What sort of came up for you when listening to that episode? I think a number of things came up. I think, firstly, it was really interesting to end the series on a kind of optimistic note. Because I think, I don't know about you, but I have found over the last four years, one of the biggest hurdles that we faced is talking to people who know what the gaps are, understand that that is not a good thing, but yet appear to lack any sense that anything can be done about it. I think that sometimes that has been our biggest barrier in terms of trying to make things different Because I think it's that you have to believe something can change. Otherwise, you just feel like you're wasting your time. And I don't know whether it's something that's specific to Brighton and Hove City Council and the kind of education team there and the culture within that team. I don't know. Or whether this is a broader um, kind of experience that other people might have across the country. But it's sort of like a, well, we, we know that this is happening. We know that it's bad we do want to do something about it we think that that's important but at that point they almost kind of get frozen in terms of but but it's it's almost like people are thinking but this is what it's always going to be like right it's always been like it and it's always going to be the same so you're asking us to do things so things change and it I don't know whether it just feels like a huge such a massive task like an such an enormous endeavour that it's almost like people kind of don't know what the first steps are or are almost scared like they're kind of in a state of paralysis because they don't there's also that thing about it being quite a a kind of contested domain and so it's also that people are like so scared about doing something that causes some kind of backlash that they're almost frozen in in a sense, and they don't know what to do for the best. And so I think that it's a really big challenge. Yeah, I mean, also there's that that thing, isn't there, of sort of professionals not wanting to blame other professionals, you know, and I, I think from that then stems, well, it must be the parents and the kids' fault. You know, and you, you spoke a bit about that in the episode and and the, the issues we have as a, as a campaign and personally with that, that sort of idea that it's parents and, and, and kids. Um, but I, I think that, that also is paralyzing in a way. Well, it is paralyzing because, you know, like we, I think we've tried really hard in the series to not point the finger or blame at any one individual or even any one group really, but, and, and sort of acknowledging that there's a sort of collective thing going on here, a system, systemic thing going on, but within those systems are individuals. Um, but I don't think it's helpful necessarily to point the finger or blame at, at people at this point. But we want to see change, you know, Um, and there are definitely people we've sort of dealt with over the last few years that you sort of feel a little bit like, you know how bad it is. Why are we struggling to engage with you? Why does it feel like you're not taking us seriously? And, you know, I mentioned obviously at the end of the um, of episode seven that you know, it's very early days, but our initial discussions with a new um, council, a new Labour council, have felt 
like a completely different prospect to what we've dealt with in the last three years. Yeah, and I think that's true. But I wonder whether the paralysis is like a fear. You know, sometimes if you're thinking about, okay, how do I explain the behaviour of an organisation or the culture in an organisation? Okay, so what we've encountered, I think, is a lot of either kind of paralysis or we've encountered, let's do a new strategy. Like the the, the, the thinking, this you know, it's all about strategies and, and kind of, and I think it would be fair to say that there have been strategies before. Um, and I think it would be fair to say that the implementation of those strategies has has left a lot to be desired. And it's almost like we've got stuck in the thinking part and the action part is completely missing. That isn't just applicable to people in the council. I think I, sometimes I wonder whether people who also feel that this is really important themselves because maybe they've had their own experience of this or maybe they're someone who's more advantaged in education actually um but but also don't think doesn't think that that's that's fair and wants to see change i wonder whether it just again feels like such a big issue that people feel almost paralyzed and unable to to do something about it and although i think we'd both be not critical of that's not that's not what i mean but we both be kind of like we both send the message, think before you act, like, what is it that you're doing? You know, take some advice, speak to the people that maybe are affected by these issues, seek out other campaign groups like ours. There must be other people like us in other parts of the country um, because we can't just be doing this by ourselves. I'm sure we're not. There are going to be lots and lots of different people who are trying to make these changes at a local level. You know, speak to those people, but you know, don't be afraid to act, you know, act, do something. Because I think what was really interesting about Gwyn when he talks about from the XP school, so he talked about going to see the expedition school, which is, I'd never heard of that ever type of learning, expedition learning. I'm going to be running away and doing lots of reading about it. Um, but he was like, it was like I couldn't not do. You know, it was like I, I had this sense that I'd seen this thing and it's almost a sense of mission. You know, I had to make things different for the young people growing up in the place that I grew up in. And I was really um, inspired by his kind of reference to the fact that he and the person that set it up are just like a couple of punks, like 70s punks from Doncaster. I mean, I'm too, <laughs> I'm too young <laughs> to remember punk. <laughs> but I think that sort of the ethos, the spirit, that the idea of it, which is that, that you can change society and that you can do it yourself and that yeah, you actually yeah. don't need that much you can just make the things that you need along the way and it doesn't matter if you don't have a piece of paper or a qualification or some kind of person saying that you are trained to do this thing you can just try to make change in the world and I think maybe some of that's been lost that you know that idea we all have to be experts I mean I'm in no way an expert on education I'm in no way an expert expert on education policy you know, I'm in no way an expert in classroom strategies and what it takes to teach children and catchment areas and all of those things. But I think I felt, and you clearly felt, a desire to make change. And 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 you can figure that stuff out along the way, right? I don't know. Well, that's where you... <laughs> I mean, that's probably what I spent most of my working life doing, sort of having crazy ideas, not necessarily having the bits of paper to say I'm qualified to do them but then going and finding people that can help with that stuff or at least 
getting something started. And I feel it's a little bit like what we are doing here. I think we're, you know, exploring a whole bunch of ideas. And like you say, we're not experts in education, right? But there's no one else doing this for Whitehawk at the moment. So who else is going to do it? You know, the people that are currently being paid to do that stuff. Um, I'm not talking about schools necessarily and, and, and teachers individually, but in the local authority, the people that are sort of responsible for the next level up on the strategy and all of that stuff. They're in, and there's, there's this saying in sort of the tech world, um, fail fast. And I sort of hate it a little bit because I think sometimes it sort of forgets the damage that can be done from that. But it feels like at the moment, the LA and on a wider scale national government policy it's not failing fast it's failing really slowly and just doing it forever right it's not even doing any real action and and that whole strategy over strategizing of stuff like you say it, it feels like it does come from a place of fear you know it's safe isn't it to sort of carry on talking about stuff carry on writing papers about stuff the delivery of something means actually having to deal with what some might call those hard-to-reach areas and hard-to-reach people. Mm. And I think the sort of tinkering about at-the-edges approach is is not going to be good enough to solve the problem because I think this problem extends far beyond just our community in Whitehawk. Obviously, I mean, the national figures tells us it does. But I mean, even in terms of the things that, that, that pupils are learning, I mean, I think the fact that there's not a better or a different, more a kind of different approach to learning in our schools generally is a problem for all children, advantaged children or disadvantaged children, you know, state-defined disadvantaged. Um, I think that the fact that, you know, the curriculum is is so dry, there's hardly any creative subjects on it anymore. The number of languages people are doing is just collapsing. I, I just generally think that, you know, we need a, a very different kind of understanding of what it means to teach our children and what we want them to learn and how we want them to learn it and how we want them what the kinds of citizens we want for the future and and what that means and I think it's true that if you design a system that includes the children and young people who face the largest barriers then everybody benefits and obviously what you want is you want to live in a society where they where the barriers they face aren't so great If I was, you know, Prime Minister tomorrow, I want to bring all children out of poverty. Yeah. And yeah, anyone yeah. can do that. Like, it's not inevitable that there should be children in this country living in poverty, having to use food banks. It just so frustrates me that there's a kind of lack, what I think is there's like a timidity in our poli- politics. There's a there's a lack of, I don't know, and, and maybe this is because we're at a weird place in the electoral cycle and there's going to be probably a general election in another 18 months and we're not maybe hearing uh, that sort of big, bold vision stuff that I just am desperate for. I'm so desperate for it. And and I, and I and it just makes me really worry that we're going to walk into, you know, even if we were to have a Labour government in, in the next part, um, in the next parliament, don't get me wrong, you know, I just I, I just worry about this country if we elect another Tory government. I mean, I worry about the country now, but I, I particularly worry about it going forward. But I but I think on something like education, you need someone who is going to make those bold decisions, a bit like what Finland did in the 70s. And they said, actually, we know that there are vested interests. We know that there are people who are powerful here who want to keep our private system running. But ultimately, that is the start of the you know, endemic class-based system 
that we have in our society and we need to get rid of that and we need to have truly comprehensive schools. I want to hear someone say that. I didn't actually include it in the in Johanna's interview. So Johanna was uh, our, our guest from Finland who's an ex-teacher, parent, a bunch of kids and now works sharing ideas from Finnish schools around the world. And she talked about this idea um, in Finland, this idea of there being no life lost. You know, and they've got a much smaller population, right? Um, and but this idea that they don't want to waste any any lives in their country. And can you imagine if we had that as a mantra here, as an idea? Yeah, we just we have we have the, almost the opposite. That's made me feel quite tearful, actually. That sounds so silly, isn't it? Like how stupid that that makes me feel really tearful. No, it's not stupid. Given everything we've shared in this podcast series, it's not stupid. Yeah, I know because. Yeah. You know, we uh, we just don't have that in our society. So I think I think it's really interesting that it can be done. And I think it's really important that we push the people in power and we push the people who can influence this and always make the positive case for change and remind people that it's not inevitable. If something is, and I know I say this all the time, but if you create something, you can create something else <laughs> different. Like it, it, I just get the sense that we're so maybe exhausted, I don't know, battered. I'm not sure, like whatever it is, but we just don't have the capacity in our brains anymore to have that bit of them that go, no, the future can look different. The future doesn't have to be like this. And actually, but what that will mean is that will mean that we need to support some bold things happening to make it not so. Um, and I just really worry that, it's almost like we don't have the the like the bandwidth for it. I, I don't know, and and I guess what we're trying to do is trying to create a, a, a like a climate in which we create that bandwidth for other people. <laughs> yeah, and we make it inspiring as well. Yeah, you know that it's sort of you know as you know obviously in the series and in the campaign we're pushing for a bunch of changes that some people are going to struggle potentially to sort of comprehend at first. And, but actually, you know, you've just described, and, and it's definitely sort of, um, it's covered in the last couple of episodes, all of the benefits if we fix our education system. You know, that's the, the sort of getting rid of segregation, the benefits of all sorts of different people hanging out with each other, the output, the, you know, that creating, much, you know, a sort of more cohesive society. But I'm also really aware, speaking in slightly naive tone here, that... You know, there's a whole load of other th things to fix around that. And again, Johanna spoke about, you know, their, the whole idea around town planning and, and housing and, and how obviously we know it's all intertwined. And again, we've covered that in the series. You know, we're talking about some huge changes um, that would need to be made to even get close to the way the Finnish school system is working. And, 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 you know, I think to something Fiona mentioned in her interview, they're not ridden with all the class issues that we have here. They've got their own challenges, right? I'm not suggesting, and, and Johanna wasn't suggesting they've got some sort of perfect situation there, but the class thing in this country is, it's, it's sort of damaging in two ways. On one level, people try to pretend it doesn't exist anymore and that social mobility has sort of, you know, fixed it or it's, but on the other hand, it is so sort of, um, powerful thing for people that are say on the wrong end of it yeah 
it's just it's like a stranglehold isn't it around anything good <laughs> it's so pernicious and i think it affects people in so many ways that we are both conscious and unconscious of um and i i hate the fact that we live in such a class-ridden society i i just it's interesting actually because we were walking along the seafront yesterday and someone I was walking to, going for a walk with was like, you know, I remember when Brighton used to be alternative and now it's just like middle-class people throwing, like flamethrowing on the seafront. <laughs> like it's very performative. Throwing axes. <laughs> <laughs> Axe-throwing competitions. You know Bearded I mean? axe-throwing competitions. Honestly. And it really made me laugh because you know when you're watching something and then someone says something and it completely changes what you see. And they've hit the nail right on the head. And I just it, I just was giggling. And I mean, giggling in just a depressed kind of way. <laughs> because, you know, Brighton used to be a backwater full of like people who, well, not full of them, but there was a big contingent of people who wanted to live alternative kind of lifestyles, who thought nature was important and wanted to live in a way that was in harmony with the world and with nature and didn't think material goods were, you know, materialism wasn't the thing that drove them. In fact, they were, you know, very much against that. And whilst I don't want to romanticise, you know, Brighton in the 80s, 70s and 80s, um, you know, I also think that, you know, even that's been commodified. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. The um the other thing that came up from this episode for me was um you and your brother speaking about this being the first time you sort of revisited your education and spoken to each other about it and it we can talk about that as well but the other thing it made me think about was connects with some of the stuff you've just been saying which is why we don't have the energy to sort of talk about this stuff we don't have the energy to think about it let alone to make or try and make changes in it and I do think, you know, most people, once they finish education, they forget about it. That's in the past for them. And I think one of the things as a campaign we do need to do over the next couple of years is re-energise people that maybe have no connection to education or seemingly no connection to education, but they really do because, as we've said multiple times in the series, it impacts every part of society. Yeah. I think encouraging people to have conversations about school... It's just a good thing to do. I think one of the things that has made it quite challenging in our community is that for so many people, the last day of school was like a liberation. And and it was them walking away from an experience that they had found deeply difficult um, and had, you know, in so many ways hurt them. And so I think that the idea of going back and having conversations about those things is actually quite scary because it's like opening up that Pandora's box, isn't it? And trying to think about yourself as like 11-year-old Carly or 12-year-old Carly or 14-year-old Carly and like what what was happening in your life and at school and how and how was that affecting you as a, as a, as a child? And I know it was really interesting for me to hear and they've had conversations with me where we haven't been recording with Ryan and Asa saying that one of the things that's really made them think about and I think Ryan says it at the very end of the episode is actually how bad it was because I think when you feel like that about a particular experience 
all of your body is telling you to just move on, you know, to kind of forget it, to run away, not to run away from it, but to put as much distance between you and it as is humanly possible. And I think one of the things I think I was kind of conscious of, but maybe not conscious of in quite this way was by asking people to go back, you're asking people to really consider things and think about things in a way that they haven't done before and also have to deal with the consequences of the feelings that that brings up. Um, I mean, I know that, you know, we've had discussions about, you know, the, the different effects that making this series has had, the impacts this series and making it has had on on kind of ourselves, you know. So if you sort of divorce you know, what we've had to do for the for the class of for the podcast. And you think more broadly about even before the podcast, like the things you have to face, the things you have to um remember, the things you have to really think about, the the enormity of the impact that your ed- education had on you. You have to kind of revisit a lot of that stuff. And it, it's not always that rosy. Like and and the context in which all of that was happening, I know for me wasn't always that fantastic um and so you kind of run a bit of a risk even even doing that um because i think it's difficult to to kind of put yourself back in that place yeah yeah and it's it's sort of thinking about your experience you know looking at it as from an outsider it's sort of almost easy to go oh you're, you're in a way your life was saved you got that placement you got that place that free place at a fee-paying school it's like that's it you're fixed now like that's gonna like do you know sort of i've got the golden deal with... <laughs> yeah exactly and you know it was it was just i mean it was fascinating to hear you and your brothers talk about that and when you were telling them about your challenges and you know i was i was thinking about you the other day carly you mentioned the disco in the last episode and i was thinking I wonder what it was like for you going to that disco, knowing that you hadn't spent all your days with those friends from the community. They're all at different schools. You were coming in, you'd been gone to this other school on the other side of town, and you were still connecting, you were still in the community, you were still living there. I don't know, I was just I just sort of thought like that that must have at times felt a bit like you were maybe an outsider. I don't know, like if ever you felt that when you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it, it brings up all of those things in terms of like your place in a community, and I and I'm happy to confess that when because completely un in a completely unexpected way, sometimes things can really hijack you. And when we were doing, I think it was the reaction episode, and Ryan said, you know, I'm, if you if you'd given Carla the choice, maybe she would have decided to have stayed with us. And I'd never thought about it like that. Like it, it like I just never considered my um life through that in that way um and i and i you know i will say that i went home and i cried my eyes out um because it obviously hit something in me that was quite sore but that i didn't even know was there really um and that's about where do you belong and where do you fit in and who are you and whose side are you on and you know what what could life have been and i'm not saying it would have been better it could or worse or it just would have been different um and i think that it's like that a lot with sliding doors moments isn't it you 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 don't know what would be the alternative 
Um, but the idea that he had thought about that and had kind of considered it from my point of view, I think was really, you know, really touched me and yeah, gave me kind of like, I had quite a strong emotional reaction to that. And I texted him later and I was like, you're right. <laughs> I was just with <laughs> you. And again, that made, you know, it was, it was really, it was kind of a really, I hate to sound like Ponzi, but it was quite a beautiful moment. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. There's been many of those across the series between you and your family, definitely. And I don't know, I was, I was also thinking about one, one of the most touching things for me was when I interviewed you ages ago and you were talking about you know, the experience of going to see your friend's brothers play rugby and then thinking about your brother's lives and your friend's lives in, in Whitehawk and, you know, there are some 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 tears potentially welling at that point. And, um, yeah, it, it's sort of so painful to think about about that and and also when I when, you know I've not spent tons of time with your your brothers but you you know just listening to them like they're lovely articulate clever as you say in that actually in that clip lovely clever articulate people who could have if given the choice and as we say all the time there's nothing wrong they're successful right they are successful um, but they could have been doing anything yeah, given different opportunities, given different access to opportunities, given, you know, if they ha- even if they hadn't have been in that, if we hadn't have been growing up on that estate at that particular moment, you know, um, I think, it's the, you know, there's so much. And the thing that I think really, really frustrates me is, you know, you can think whatever you like about adult, not you can think whatever you like, but people think whatever they like about adults that are living in poverty. Like you can understand that poverty I don't think it's fair that you understand it as a as a as a consequence of a like a lack of moral fiber and a lack of hard work and poor choices. But if you do understand it like that, by keeping people in poverty, you're essentially saying that children who have absolutely no control, no power, no ability to take care of themselves, essentially you're just kind of throwing them to the wolves. You're just leaving them to this this fate because all of the research is clear. We do not need any more poverty research. We know what it does, right? It destroys the lives of children. It destroys them in so many ways. We should not, we just should not <laughs> allow any child to grow up in a poor household because it's not their fault. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It's not their fault. And I think that that's it. Like, that has so many implications and so many repercussions. And one of them is their life chances and, and the, 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 what, the, the cracks that they can, they have to navigate their, their, themselves through in order just to, just to be, just to create a life, just to kind of live in a way. Um, it's just so hard. And I just, I have no, I suck, like I don't, I don't get why we would do it as a society. It causes so many problems and it costs us so much money. It costs us money in health. It costs us money in criminal justice. It costs us money in education. It costs us money in social security. It it costs us money. So if you Mm -hmm. add up all the money that it costs us, (laughs) just bloody don't do it. (laughs) But that's, I guess that's, 
that's the problem, isn't it, with our sort of short-term politics? You know, it does cost us money, but it's further down the line, and it doesn't have implications for politicians now that are just thinking about now. And... I don't even think it's like short-term politi- politics. I just don't think we know what... We really have a, a party or a, that is ready to stand up to a bunch of greedy bastards. Like, that, that greed is destroying our society and it's not only destroying our society it's society it's destroying our planet like what are we going to do about these crazy people we have to do something about it and i think sorry i'm i'm, I'm using this opportunity if you notice curtis as it's our last <laughs> reaction episode. please do but i feel so strongly about this because you know we see kids and i would say like i, I don't only feel strongly about it because of my own personal experience or because intellectually i know growing up in poverty is bad um, it's because I see it every day I'm at the club. Families who cannot provide basic items for their children, you know, and I see what I don't see is loads of families swanning in and out and thinking it's fucking hilarious. And, you know, I see families who, that are under so much pressure that if you, that most people would break and, and, the guts and the resilience, I hate that word, but it is in some ways, the just the grit and the determination that they show sometimes just to put one foot in front of the other sometimes astounds me. But they should not have to be in that situation. They, we just should not expect them to be in that situation. And, you know, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. I mean, you know, there's... Well, I mean, there's so much we could talk about about this about this stuff, and you know, I mean, I, I put a tweet out this morning actually, and we're recording this the, the week before it's going out. But I put a tweet out, you know, about some of the bigger picture stuff, you know, and, and the potential if there were to be a Labour government next year, and how brave they could be, um, whether or not they will be, and there's obviously lots of options they can they've got to make change. Uh, will they will they will they actually do those things that as you say you know targets those those people who are basically just sucking the life out of yeah. civilization basically they are, literally they're a bunch of leeches and i think what's interesting to me is that we both went to see Darren McGarvey and and i i'm you know i'm grateful to all of the contributors to the podcast i think they've all made just amazing contributions but i think when we're thinking about the thing that we're really grappling with which is why do policies like this exist? Like policies that are damaging, whether it's education, welfare, you know, why are there policies? And I think his whole, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it, it is original in the terms of his own book, but I know that Wilkinson and Pickett talked a lot about the impact of the social distance. Um, but he, in his book, The Social Distance Between Us, also talks about proximity and actually that, you know, the, the impact that a lack of proximity has on our politicians and policymakers and and all the rest of it. And I think one of the really lovely themes for me all the way through that final episode of the the podcast was the the importance of relationships and how powerful relationships are. And I thought um, Gwyn from the XP school talked about, you know, I actually, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me what grades they've got. What matters to me is that I know them, you know, and I know them as people and I care about them and I have that connection to them. You know, Lorraine at the crew club talked really movingly about what, you know, sometimes kids just need someone to talk to and they can come to me. And it's again, it's that kind of relationship where there is trust and there is care and there is concern. And 
you know, and there is compassion. And I think that that's really important. And, you know, when um, the woman from Finland was talking about, you know, you can have in a school the child of a millionaire and the child of someone who is a, is, is socioeconomically a completely different place in, you know, in Finnish society. And yet they they can be friends because they're actually in a class together. Could you imagine that? <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they, they're physically, they're, they're within proximity of each other. And I think that, that, A, I think that it is genuinely all about relationships. It, it, it just is. And I think that, one of the things that is stopping change happening in a way that I think we would both like to see is that distance between the people who are thinking about how things might be different, who are planning policies, who are writing policy documents, who are thinking about, you know, creating a vision for the society that we're in and the people who actually are living lives and I don't think it really kind of matters. I mean, I'd like to think that the Labour Party were nearer. In, you know, they those 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 bridges were shorter. But sometimes I don't know. I'm not always certain that that's the case. Um, and I do think it's about if you're going to really think about what to do next, it has to come from the ground upwards. It it just has to. The interview with Courtney, uh, who who's works at a think tank, Demos. Um, you know, it's it's so interesting to hear from her and I, I met her actually at an event around um, the idea of that that distance you know there not being enough working class people working in policy um, how few people there are working in that world and that's just one area right? you know there are probably most of the charities most of politics journalism as we you know we've covered some of these stats in in the series are made up of people not from sort of lower socioeconomic backgrounds um, and have no, and I sort of hate, you know, the word lived experience because it's often used as a sort of, but there aren't that many people with that working in those worlds and it's so damaging and how to break that cycle. I mean, it's only going to come from big policy change. Yeah. And I think it's also really important to say that it's like, it's, it is really othering, you know, if you're, making big decisions and you're the head of whatever you know you're involved in a in a in a think tank in a charity in a policy unit in a you know depart government department um you know thinking about how you would change lives for them <laughs> you know you, you you that that distance is in your language you know that kind of othering is in is that is what it means to other people actually you want to be in a position where people are making change for us like because you're one of them. And I think one of the things that really helps me at the club, not even helps me at the club, I don't even think about it, but, you know, when I am, when we, or not even just with me, with our staff team, you know, when someone is coming in and I'm sorry, I'm going to use it, you know, I'm going to swear, but they're on their ass. We can see that person as someone, as, as, as someone who's like us, because we've been in that, we've had that experience of being on your ass and we know what that feels like. And we know that actually how humiliating that can be and how distressing that is and how shaming that is. And we know that how we would have wanted to have been treated when we were in that situation. And that's how we treat people. Because there's nothing worse. Like making you know, people, if you don't necessarily know what it's like to be on your ass, and you can do all kinds of things that you think are the right thing, that you think are going to be helpful, but actually can just add to someone's you know, 
just just not be good for someone's situation. And that doesn't mean that, you know, if you haven't had that experience, you shouldn't be helping in a food bank or you shouldn't be doing all of those kinds of things. But I think we have to be mindful. We have to be mindful of those things. Um, and part of the reason why you can create like organisations like the Crew Club, and there are going to be lots of organisations across the country who are, who are grassroots organisations. I mean, I think in some ways we're a dying breed because it's so hard to maintain those kinds of organisations in this current climate. It's been so difficult probably for a decade and a half. And, and I don't know how, if it's going to get better. But I think there are still people who are working with their communities, in their communities, for their communities. And I think part of the reason why they can do such great things is because they're just in it. They've been yeah. in it. They understand what that's like. They get it. Um, and, th- and they want to change it. The thing that is both good and bad about that situation is the amount of hours those people have to put in, often unfunded. It's like, you know, you know, like with the crew club, I see like Darren and Lorraine, you and others working there and clearly putting more hours in than you're paid for. Um, and obviously people benefit from that. But... How is that sustainable? I mean, it obviously has been for a long time, but, you know, it, it, it's sort of, well, I mean, I'm just stating the bloody obvious here. It's just so wrong. Like, I, I look at something like the crew come, I'm like, it's so easy to fund. It's so obvious. Why is, you know, why is it not just fully funded? You know, and it, it drives me crazy when, when I know how hard it is to keep things like that going. It was interesting because Gwyn, when he was talking about, you know, he couldn't not do it. Like he could not do it. Like what he's talking about is having a sense of like a mission. Like, you know, he's driven by this sense of mission. And I think you do get those people who see terrible things happen and terrible injustices. And actually they're the kind of people who can't not do anything about it. And I think there very much has to be a balance struck there because you're absolutely right. Some people will throw their lives at this stuff. You know, I consider Lorraine and Darren to be two people, Lorraine in particular, who I think has has literally in many ways given up her life for that organisation. And I'm not necessarily saying, I'm not being critical of that, but I just think ultimately the system relies on people like that, burning the, burning themselves out to provide the things that it's not willing to to do. It's a bit like the whole like food bank thing, you know, the trussel trust, which I think is great, says we don't want there to be a, a, a trussel trust. We want to live in a society where none of where none of this is necessary. And I think that were we in a society where kids had access to a brilliant inclusive education, where we didn't lose a, like anyone, where there were really good statutory funded youth, you know, youth there was really good youth work happening across the country, where kids had access to free kind of sport leisure you know, opportunities and no child was growing up in poverty, the crew club wouldn't need to exist. And I know that Darren and Lorraine would shut that building. <laughs> they would, you know, walk away and do and and just live their lives, get their lives back really in lots of ways. And I think it's interesting. We are not an organisation that wants to exist. We exist because there is so much to be done. With class divide, we don't really want to be sitting here having to do this, right? And I get some some enjoyment out of the work and the relationships and the but ultimately we're working on a thing that, that is horrible and 
you know, I guess sometimes there's a sort of guess a bit of gallows humour. Sometimes we're chuckling about it a lot. Well, you have to because it's so bloody hard to see some of the stuff that you have to see doing this work. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's 25 degrees outside. I live by a beach. No, I don't live by a yeah. beach. I wish I did. But I live in Brighton and Hove, which means I'm not that far from a beach. Yeah. I'm sat in my, you know, in a bedroom <laughs> talking to you, getting myself all wound up. I could be swimming in the sea if there wasn't so much sewage in it. But do you know what I mean? Like, like, there are other things I could be doing with my life, Curtis, as you, there is with yours, you know. And I think it's interesting um, because I'm meeting a few people now and, and they're like saying to me like, oh, you, Carly from the Class 5 podcast? And I'm like, yeah. And, um, you know, they're saying how much they're enjoying the podcast and it's really amazing. And, 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 I'm, and I'm really grateful for all of that. I'm just enormously grateful for it. But we've said this before and I'll say it again. You and I both are not very comfortable with this in the sense that it's kind of like it took quite a while for me to get my head around, you know, making some of the disclosures that I've made around what it was like growing up and and my background and my childhood and my life and and my brothers similarly. And actually it's like, it's, 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 it's complicated. It's really funny. And I'm not, I'm not sharing this in a sort of big headed way, but when we were at that Darren McGarvey event, I've never had this happen before. Right. And Darren McGarvey did this whole thing, didn't he? At the start of his thing where he's like, people come up to you and say, you Darren McGarvey. Well, as I was leaving the Darren McGarvey event, people were coming up to you saying, are you Curtis James from Class Divide? And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and just sort of walked off because I, I, I don't know what to say to people. Like, what? I just, it was so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. But, no. but also, it is sort of, you know, obviously loads of your story and your family stories in the series. Some of mine is. And it is a bit weird having to put that out there. You know, we both know, you've already said it already, you know, in this in this episode, how it's painful to have to look back at this stuff and to, and I've definitely felt it, if I'm completely honest, the last two years have been a bit crazy working on this because I, I've kind of lived, I, I've, it's just been my life. I mean, I've done other things, but, you know, it's consumed me um, in a way that when you're making something like this, you sort of, I guess you end up doing, like you've, you know, you've written stuff Carly you know what it's like to you know it takes over your mind in a way that it's quite hard to think about other stuff yeah yeah like making a living and being kind to your partner (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly exactly doing all those other things so so yeah I mean for people listening you know if you've got any bright ideas that means we can just sort of like hang up our class divide capes and and go off walk into the sunset Absolutely. And not have to do this. Please uh, put your answer on a postcard. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the final thing I just want to make sure we touch on today is, um, so I had my fourth mentoring session this morning, talking it's all about relationships. I finally feel like my three lovely mentees don't look at me like, who's this weird person coming, coming to talk to me? I was like, Hi. <laughs> Um, which was really nice. We had a mentoring session in the sunshine and the children like lost their minds. It was just lovely. Um, and we were one of the things we, we were doing with them today was asking them about um, like the changes at the school and what some of the changes that they'd like to see. And one of the big things that came up was break times and like 
breaks and it really made me think about what um, the Finnish system is like where you have to have a break for 15 minutes every hour and I told my three mentees this so like in Finland it's the law which means you have to have a 15 minute break every hour and they just looked at me they were like oh, no that's a man you get a break every hour and they were so they were so shocked by it um and excited and it really started a conversation with them about why they really like break time and why breaks are really important and that they'd like to have more breaks and what their breaks are at the moment and what they get up to in break and the really long school lunch line and you know all of that stuff so it was just really lovely to hear from them about you know some of the things we're talking about in the podcast and and saying you know and i and i'm going to be doing a session with our youth council about kind of you know politics and what it means you know if you have these kinds of if you believe these sorts of things where might you sit on a political spectrum and i'm going to definitely throw some like comparative stuff in there because i used to teach a module on comparative criminology and our students could never get their head, heads around the fact that there are the age of criminal responsibility is like different in different countries and it would just blow their minds and i think you know that the importance of showing alternatives and showing differences and showing how different societies do diff- things in a different way and looking at the culture that sits behind that and the sort of the politics and the history of that i think is is just really powerful and it really reminded me when i said to them this morning about you know it's the law in finland and and i could just see their brains just kind of go Pow! um and it was fabulous <laughs> i loved it uh, Jack uh, Bacco, I really hope you're now not being inundated with <laughs> hundreds of kids basically petitioning you for breaks every 45 minutes. Well, they put more breaks down on their big sheet, like more breaks. They all put it down. I was like, well, make sure you you all say it. Hmm. Well, I mean, all I will say is get in touch with Johanna and, and check out some of the research. I mean, I know it's sort of probably beyond individual schools and their ability to do that. But again, I think it's one of those bigger policy things that you know, as a country, not just in schools, but in the workplace, we should be thinking about that, um, you know. Um, so, yeah, so that's a good positive to, I think, to, to end on. I'm really glad you had a, a good time with them today. The last episode, up till this point, up till this point, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the future? Um, I We have discussed in September doing some sort of monthly chats like this just to keep you all updated on what's happening with the campaign and you know we shared so much of the history with you and and I, I think it's important for us to be able to share that stuff so you can hear it but also to hold the people to account that that we're we're relying on to make these changes um, to share that stuff so we will be staying in touch with you through the podcast Carly anything you want to say before we wrap this up it's been a it's been an experience, Curtis. I'm not gonna lie. Um, not always a comfortable one, <laughs> but you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have not done it now that we're on the other side, and it's taught me quite a lot about lots of things. So thank you. Good. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah, it's taught me lots as well, and yeah. Yeah, it has been an emotional roller coaster, and I, I mean, I mean, just before we go, and I did have to say a few thank yous at the end of the main episode, but honestly, everyone that's taken part in this, I appreciate it so much. People that have given their time, their expertise, their ideas, shared their stories. Obviously, the series wouldn't have been the series without all of that. Um, and to people that have listened, that have got in touch, 
and have shared sort of their thoughts about it. It's been so sort of invaluable actually to hear some of that stuff and to read some of the comments how this is sort of going down. It was always my biggest fear that we'd make this and it wouldn't be well received and here we are you know at the end of the series and fortunately it seems to have been received in a good positive way so I'm, I'm very very pleased about that. Yeah and can I just say finally very finally you know I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, Curtis <laughs> but no one else could have made this no one else could have made it in the way that you've made it and for that I am incredibly grateful thank you thank you that means that means so much to me yeah i appreciate that and i am blushing a little bit now because hard hard to take that kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) oh dear Uh, (laughs) yeah i think i've got some grit in my eye um (laughs) great cool well okay well thanks for listening um listen out for more stuff soon oh the other there is one other thing the sound episode with all the kids that's going to be made over the summer. I mustn't forget to mention that because I'm really excited about that. I, and I, I do see that as the start of some future stuff that will happen with the young people and the youth council around making stuff like this. But that's a bigger, longer term plan. And yeah, we'll update you on, on if and when that happens. But do look out for that. Stay subscribed to the podcast channel so that you get that sort of special episode that the kids will have made together with producer and my twin brother Simon who who's going to be hanging out with them over the summer collecting sounds from Whitehawk so yeah thanks everyone for listening um, we'll see you soon bye